This is a quick but super important reminder that this episode comes with a content warning. This is simply to empower you, our audience, with the knowledge you need to make healthy decisions about how and if you should consume this podcast content. I think it consent can feel really complicated when a person doesn't quite know like their boundaries, but that's okay. Like not everyone does. Sometimes you figure those things out like after the fact. But I think when you're younger and you're a teenager and just figuring out your own body, it can feel awkward to talk about those boundaries with another person. So, you know, in the perfect world, everyone would have those conversations with the partner. But, you know, when I'm teaching sex ed to a bunch of 13 and 14 year olds, I have to remember that not everyone's going to do that. In Your Element is a teen-hosted podcast covering conversations with our allies. I'm your host, Abby Jones, and I get to chat with some of the most inspiring educators, creators, and changemakers reflecting on their teen years, what makes them feel the most in their element daily, and things that they wish they had known as a teenager. This podcast is a sister organization with The Element Collective. The Element Collective hosts virtual and in-person workshops providing mindfulness, movement, creativity, fun, and other tools that high school-age girls need to love themselves, own their authenticity, and tap into who they truly are. More approachable than traditional group therapy or school clubs, Element Collective founders Mary Allard and Kylie Roswell base their approach on the five elements and create a safe and playful environment for girls to connect with themselves and others. Because when each of us are in our element, magic happens. If you're interested in being a part of any of the Element Collective events or joining our Element community, like me hosting this podcast, or even Gabby who produced the music that you're hearing now, you can follow this podcast wherever you listen Connect with us on Instagram at Element Collective or check us out at elementcollective.com. That's E-L-L-E-M-E-N-T Collective. Today's episode feels like a milestone for the podcast for a number of reasons. The first being that this topic surfaced early on when we even thought about starting the Element Collective community and the podcast as a part of it. It also is really important to us because we've realized that the producers of this show, including myself, Sex education hasn't changed that much since we were teenagers or middle schoolers ourselves. We felt like this topic had to come back up to the surface and no better person than to bring in our friend Mariah, who's an inclusive sex educator and is really starting to level up the game as to how we talk about sex education. What does it mean to be more comprehensive in the work that we do there? And how can we make sure that at the end of the day, we're honoring ourselves, we're honoring our bodies, we're learning how to communicate our needs and our boundaries, and we're able to then pass that on to those around us. Welcome, Mariah. Hi, it's nice to meet you. Hello, it's great to meet you. I know that you work in sex ed, Um, which I am very passionate about. I think the first time I met 
Mary, I was like, do you guys have sex ed on there? Because that's something that's not taught and or not yeah. taught very well. So tell me, tell me about what sex ed was like for you when you were my age and what inspired you to, to do what you're doing now. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I didn't really have a good or wholesome or comprehensive sex education. Um, I think like a lot of people, it wasn't really talked about at home. Um, that for me had to do with both cultural aspects and like religious aspects. So without the school teaching sex ed, I also wasn't getting it at home. And that was also mixed in with a lot of, like, shame-based sort of teachings, like being held to this standard of purity, like, you need to be pure forever. So it really didn't take into account, like, abuse or trauma or things like that. So I think my sex ed experience was non-existent. Um, I do remember very briefly in high school, they did, like, a one- a one-day thing where they, like, passed around pictures of STIs, like, really developed STIs on genitals, and it was really just a scare tactic, and, yeah, it didn't – that's not sex ed. Um, So non-existent, I think, is really, really where it was at. Um, But the reason I got into sex education, I think, is a a little bit of that, but – Also, my experience with, like, childhood trauma and I guess trigger warning would be a good idea here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Things related to sexual abuse, a lot of that not having or knowing that there were resources or even support systems outside of family because my family was not helpful. In fact, sometimes part of the problem or um, including, like, the abusers. So – I didn't know that there were support systems. I didn't know that there were people I could go to or um, places that offered certain resources. So I think that's kind of where my interest started, was knowing that there was a gap that needed to be kind of figured out or at least um, talked about more. And in college, that I tried to study a lot of things related to health and psychology and stuff like that. But I think when I was younger, as a teen, I started to notice that there were a lot of gaps. Um, But I didn't think about it critically yet. I wasn't like, I want to work in this field and do this. Um, I just was aware of it. Yeah, so you mentioned gaps in the education and you not having your own support system um, when you were going through things when you were younger. Yeah. Do you think that possibly a reason that you've gone into this is to create some sort of support system for young women or even young boys who are going through similar experiences? Yeah, I think so. I think it has a lot to do with that. Um, I'm also the oldest of like six siblings. So I think naturally Mm -hmm. I've always felt like in this role of being responsible and working with younger folks and trying to fix things, I guess. Um, so that really led me to always work in education and always work with um, people in the community. And yeah, of course, personal experience is, I think, a really big reason why I am a sex educator now. And um, through 
through that, I've learned that it's, it's more than just like giving people the resources. It's also teaching people about bodily autonomy, um, understanding that like intimacy and sex isn't, I guess it goes along with bodily autonomy. Like boundaries are important, recognizing that pleasure can come from a lot of different places. And if people do have sex, like there are things that people can do to be safer, things like that. So there's so much, there's so much to talk about. And there's so, so many important conversations that should be happening at school and can be. Um, but a lot of it really does, I think, start at home or at least it should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what does that look like for you? Cause I know that like for me, when I was in middle school and being in high school, they just kind of put up a slideshow and they're like, yeah, this is a diagram and you guys should use safety. <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah. Um, so what, what does it look like for you if you're doing anything at schools and how you're helping, um, start it at home? Yeah, that's a good question. So in, I know every single state has certain sex ed laws, um, like what schools have to do in order to meet them. In California, it is getting a lot better. We have what's called like the California Healthy Youth Act, and it has a lot of sex ed standards that need to be met. So the curriculums that I teach align with those standards, but they're also really comprehensive. So I teach comprehensive sex education. And that means it's more than just like preventative, preventative safety. It's also life skills and understanding how to communicate. It's also um, understanding like the benefit of relationships, how to be a supportive person. Um, it's also understanding the medical aspects of sex too, things like HIV and STI. So it's just, it's beyond just sex or which body parts go where. It's really about the holistic experience of being a human and trying to figure things out, especially as a teen. Trying to figure things out is important. And um, so that's what I do. I'll go into the class. Typically, it's for about two weeks is like the length of time that we do the curriculum. And um, I'll be with that class, usually a freshman year, sophomore year sometimes. Um, and then in middle school, it's seventh grade or eighth grade. Mm -hmm. It really just depends. Some schools do it differently. So yeah, I'll be there for about a week or two and do the sex ed curriculum. And I think one of the best parts about that is the anonymous question box that I bring. Um, and I think a lot of it, we, I, I try to center it around that because the anonymous questions is where the real learning I mean, I think a lot of the learning and interest comes from because people are getting the information they really, really want. Um, but unfortunately, PowerPoints are still a part of it. Um, but we're <laughs> trying to move away from that and make it a little bit more interactive. Yeah, I, t I totally get that. <laughs> um, like, if you had to say some of the most popular questions that you get asked in, yeah. those, in that box, what would you say are the most popular? Oh my goodness. Yeah, a lot of questions are always, there's like always the undertone of, am I normal? Is this normal? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. or my friend wants to know, is this normal? And it's like really them. Um, I get a lot of like penis size questions, like tons a day. And you know, that's also like, am I normal? Is this normal? But it, 
I think even answering that question brings up a lot more. It also brings up the unattainable body standards that all people have. It also sometimes brings up pornography. We we do talk a little bit about like media literacy and Mm. um, ethical porn and consuming media in an ethical way or a mindful way. Um, And yeah, we get to talk a lot about the pressure to look a certain way. So that question I may get a thousand times in a week, (laughs) but it does bring up a lot of great stuff. So that one I think is probably number one. Um, I get a lot of questions about um, like relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, should I break up with this person? Is this, and is this okay? And then in middle school, I get tons of period questions. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of, a lot of those. Um, some, a lot of body questions really Mm -hmm. is like, is my body functioning correctly? And it doesn't look okay. And it's like, yeah. And yeah, I love, I love those questions. I also get a lot of, um, like identity questions too. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of really great discussion around just like the diversity and gender orientation, uh, a lot of people just want, like, accurate information. Like, what does this yeah. mean? Um, but some people want to talk about their experience. And sex ed is or should be a safe place to talk about those things. And I try to make it so that it is. Yeah, totally. When I was in middle school, it was so uncomfortable. And, I mean, it was just my gym teacher who taught it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Just so uncomfortable. <laughs> the gym teacher is a common, it's a, for some reason, yeah. it's always the I know. gym teacher. I, I know. It's because technically gym teachers are related to body health and yeah, they, yeah, I know. Their <laughs> biases always show through too. Exactly. It's like, mm-hmm. They're uncomfortable too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had my gym teacher talk about abortions and we were all like, oh gosh. Oh God. <laughs> Um, yeah. Anyway, um, so you mentioned, uh, you get questions on, um, asking about relationships and, like, should I break up with this person? Is this a healthy relationship? How, how are you able to help teens navigate that kind of thing? Because that's, um, in my, in my mind, I guess, not something that is necessarily sex ed related. It's just, Mm. I mean, relationships and Sex can go together, but not always. Right. So how, um, how as a sex educator, do you help navigate that? Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things that's both a foundation in sex and boundaries and consent and also relationships is, am I comfortable? Am I feeling safe? Am I feeling supported? Am I secure? Those sorts of questions are important to all of those things. So in relationships, a big thing is like, do you feel safe? Do you feel comfortable? Are you able to communicate in a healthy way with a partner? Are they able to communicate with you? So identifying what healthy relationships look like is what we look at. And then identifying what unhealthy relationships look like and understanding that those can be worked on and like unhealthy can become healthy, but we also talk about how unhealthy can be patterns that lead to abuse or are already abusive. So we also talk about like identifying abusive behaviors. And I think 
that's I, that's one of the biggest pieces or most important pieces I've noticed for a lot of teens. They really like to talk about that because if they can notice abusive patterns, they can better either be safe themselves or address them or get out of those relationships. So, um, in that same, in that same vein, if a person is having sex with the partner, they're able to like communicate effectively. That's important. There's going to be more safety and consent and boundaries being met in that sexual relationship, just like in a romantic relationship. Um, so we really focus on the key things like communication, safety, etc. And respect, I guess respect is like the umbrella of it all. Um, so that's how they kind of cross over. Yeah, I think respect really just encompasses all of it. If you have respect for somebody, you'll be willing to talk to them and yeah. give them a healthy relationship. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know that there's <laughs> this is a, a larger conversation than we have time for, but yeah. what what are some uh, cues of uh, an abusive relationship or behaviors to to watch out for? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. It certainly is. There's definitely a lot of warning signs or like red flags. A lot of them have to do with like the way someone might respond to you if they are like open to conversation. If they're not open to a conversation, that's always like a red flag. If they're not communicating their feelings and are communicating like passively, that's a red flag. If they... I mean, aren't kind. That's typically a red flag. Um, but if they're making their partner or person feel bad about themselves, you know, that can lead into emotional abuse. And those are the types of red flags we want to make sure people can catch before it gets into that. At the same time, it's not the like survivor or victim's fault if they don't catch a red flag because a lot of times abusive people are really tricky in that way or they they kind of do the tug of war they'll give you like lots of love or like love bomb you and make you feel wonderful and then next thing you know they're like taking it away and being um really unkind or saying horrible things so anyways there's some warning signs in there physical stuff is oftentimes what people can see first um so i think the verbal and emotional abuse is some of the abuse that's a little bit harder to catch or someone may not realize it um, because it's not as obvious as a bruise. Both are equally important and terrifying and um, unhealthy or abusive. So kind of monitoring how one feels. Like, do you feel safe in your relationship? I think that's always a good place to kind of start with before identifying warning signs or red flags. And if there's something you feel that's wrong, um, if you're able to safely and comfortably bring that up with a partner, that's a good sign because there's like equal, there's equality, there's listening. Um, if they get angry and it starts a fight, that's not, that's not good because that's not a healthy conversation. There's not really openness in that or understanding. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen, the Netflix show you that is currently out. I mean, those, those sorts of shows some like give some good examples of what abuse can look like. Um, and then some not so realistic examples, but, uh, hopefully, you know, people are able to learn from that in some way. 
Yeah, hopefully that's helpful. <laughs> um, you're right. Definitely a, a larger conversation because sometimes it's very situational and it's dependent on the, like, yeah, dependent on the situation that's occurring with the people involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. That's, that, that is a good way to um, outline it for people not knowing their specific situation. Yeah. Right. For sure. So you brought up uh, consent, which is mm-hmm. such 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 a huge thing. Um, so what what does consent really look like? You know, are there cues that say, you know, oh, this person isn't comfortable with this. This person is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it consent can feel really complicated when a person doesn't quite know, like, their boundaries. But that's okay. Like, not everyone does. Sometimes you figure those things out, like, after the fact. But I think when you're younger and you're a teenager and just figuring out your own body, it can feel awkward to talk about those boundaries with another person. So, you know, in the perfect world... Everyone would have those conversations with the partner. But, you know, when I'm teaching sex ed to a bunch of 13 and 14-year-olds, I have to remember that not everyone's going to do that. So I think, like, some really simple cues is making sure people are asking before doing something, before making out, before touching. Like, is this okay? Do you feel okay? Um, Picking up on nonverbal cues and verbal cues, like, does the person seem happy and comfortable or do they seem nervous and really uncomfortable? Because if that's the case, then it's probably a good idea to stop or to check in with them. So also encouraging a lot of check-ins, which is simply just asking, is this okay? Do you feel okay? Are you comfortable? Do you want to try something different? Um, and I think through those questions, people can start to learn their boundaries. They can start to learn like, oh, I really like this with my body or I really don't like this. This makes me feel gross or horrible. I don't like it. Um, so yeah, questions can be a huge uh, or a really important piece of consent. And, and they are um, because one, it shows a sign that you respect how your partner feels or that person feels and they respect you. Um so, yeah, I think those are some good cues of consent. And we, I mean, like, I try to encourage people to practice it in many different ways, even outside of sex. Um, just like on their lunch break, where do they notice that they're communicating or hearing out someone's boundaries? Um, maybe someone wants to have a sip of your drink. I mean, pre-COVID times, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, are you just going to grab it from them? Or, you know, there's going to be some sort of quick interaction of like, can I have some? No. Yes. Sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I appreciate you giving all of your insight. Um, So our whole, you know, brand is element mm-hmm. um and being in your element so for you what what does being in your element look like is it teaching sex ed to a bunch of immature 13 year olds <laughs> <laughs> or probably something else or yeah that's a great question i think actually yes to for the first one um i do feel really in my element when yeah. there's an aspect of like teaching but it's it's 
it's not so much like teaching, like, I'm the expert, you're the student, I know more than you, let me give you this information, I'm awesome, I'm a savior, (laughs) I can do this thing. It's like, not that. Instead, it's like the community aspect of it, of like, I'm also learning. Like, I'm not an expert at everyone's life, or, you know, like, I may have some resources, but that doesn't mean, like, young folks or teens don't have information that's important to their lives. So, teaching allows for there to be like a a relationship and a community where we're both learning from each other and I'm just like a bridge that provides some resources but ultimately um you know teens are going to live their life and do you know whatever they want to do with that information but more importantly we get to like have these conversations and be a safe place for one another so I really do feel I think in my element in those moments Um, and I think outside of that, I feel most in my element when I'm like alone, I guess (laughs) I'm, I'm a, like an introvert in some ways. I I need that like alone time to kind of get re-energized. So when I'm alone and able to like let go of expectations and not feel any pressure to be perfect or do anything or meet any goals. Like I feel in my element because I'm able to just be and be myself, relax and feel completely like at home with just myself. Um, so I think that's when I feel like really true. And then teaching would be the second. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, Yeah, totally. That's so interesting that, I mean, if you consider yourself an introvert, I just find that so interesting. Talking about such a vulnerable and open topic is... Yeah. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's just interesting. That's why Um, I need a lot of alone time. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Um, A bunch of middle schoolers talking about sex all day is... um, It takes a lot of energy, I bet. It does. I definitely used to, like, sleep in my car during lunch breaks, but school lunch breaks are so short, like 30 minutes. 30 minutes, yeah. Yeah. You can't do anything. (laughs) No, (laughs) you literally can barely eat lunch. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I have one last question for you. I want to ask if you were able to go back and talk to your, your teen self what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give? Hmm. That's a really hard question. (laughs) Um, I think I would tell myself, like, it's okay to feel the things I'm feeling. Like, I don't need to, like, constantly try and reach, like, an unattainable standard of being good or being perfect or being pure or being smart Um, because I think a lot of my teen years was trying to succeed, not just in, like, school, but in a lot of areas of my life, and I didn't have, like, either the resources to, to meet some of those goals, or it just wasn't me, um, and that put so much pressure on myself, so I think it put pressure on myself and it made me like really, really run far away from the things I was feeling or like push them down or forget about them or brush them off or, you know, just 
try and look to the next thing. So I feel like if I would have allowed myself to experience my feelings more, I just think I would have appreciated myself more and appreciated like how resilient one can be even as I don't know 14 15 16 year olds um yeah so I I I think just feel the feel the things and (laughs) it's okay if they're not always good (laughs) totally yeah yeah that's good advice I've been trying to give myself that advice recently yeah it's hard it's really difficult man yeah yeah totally well, I really, really appreciate you talking with me today, and I've learned a lot, actually. Awesome. <laughs> so I really appreciate it. Popping on one last time to thank Mariah for coming onto the podcast to talk with Abby. If you'd like to connect with her, you can follow her on Instagram at sex ed files. And I believe she's on TikTok as well. So wherever you want to find out more information to continue the conversation on some of the things that we addressed here today, she is open, ready, willing, and able to field your questions and be your trusted resource for comprehensive sex education. We also did touch on some sensitive subjects. So you can look at our show notes if you are needing support yourself or the domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Thanks for listening.